This is Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk. My guest today is 2015 Minnesota Music Hall of Famer Mick Sterling, whose name is ubiquitous in the Minnesota music scene. If you're a music lover in Minnesota, you have almost certainly seen one of the bands he runs. Mick's fondness for Elton John, Springsteen, and others became the basis of his performing and songwriting choices as he began his music career in 1980. Since then, he's been nonstop to this day producing countless shows, many of them tribute bands dedicated to performing the music of one artist, and performing in his band, Midwest favorite Mick Sterling and the Stud Brothers. Additionally, and incredibly, Mick has also authored The Long Ride Home and the recently released book, And Else. You know, it's the perfect time to have him on Musician Talk, because The Love Show, a show he put together and performs in, is at the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault, Saturday, February 12th at 7.30. I'm going, and I encourage you to do so, too. Now, let's gain some insight to this uber-talented man. Let's talk with Mick Sterling. doing welcome to musician talk i am fine thanks for having me pauline i appreciate it i am very very honored to have you on the show today i've heard a lot about you and it's just a joy to speak with you now as well as spotlighting uh local area musicians musician talk also focuses on people that will be playing in the area and you mick have a music review called the love show at the paradise for performing arts in Fairbow. the show is at 7.30 on on Saturday the 12th, February the 12th. And this is a great idea for a Valentine date night. I think it is, too. It's going to be cool. We don't have to officially be in love to no. see the show. That, that's <laughs> not the priority. You know, it's not a requirement to be in love. It's not nice, at all. You don't have- <laughs> right. So there's three there's three groups that could go. People that are in love, that are a couple, people that are a couple that aren't in love <laughs> yes. and trying to get back in love. And then yeah. the, the singles out there that just want to hear some really great music. That's right. That's right. And we'll, we'll take them all. All right. I'd like to start the show uh, with a brief run through your musical journey. And um, I'd like you to walk us down that path, starting with the memory that you had that I read about uh, being uh, performing in Golden Valley, a bar in Golden Valley at the age of four and kind of take us up to yeah. projects now. And we'll talk more about that stuff later. Well, you know, I had some pretty interesting influences. My mom and dad were, you know, in the service industry and they, my dad was a bartender. My mom was a server at the place. And so, you know, their friends were the, were their employees, at, you know, not their employees, but their coworkers at the bar. So I would go there and there was this jukebox that was there in the bar and and one day i just stood up on the they put my made me stand up on the jukebox and i sang uh king of the road by roger miller and uh <laughs> and it felt pretty good <laughs> you know so and uh you know i think i i think i got some french fries from the bar and uh and another coke and that made me feel pretty good so <laughs> that, that was fun and and then uh you know later i my influences were rather interesting because i you know they my parents would play Ray Charles all day long, but I love the monkeys too. So I love mm. Ray Charles and the monkeys. Those are really my first two major influences when I was a kid. So <laughs> That's great. Diverse, but, but, I, but I like them. They're both great. So then after you found that you love performing, getting on yeah. that jukebox and singing, um, when you started elementary school, did you, did you start lessons? Did you, were you in any, any bands? I was, in, actually, in school? I was actually, I wanted to be a drummer. And so I, I took drum lessons 
not all the way through elementary school, but I did that through junior high school. Um, I wasn't in a band until about ninth grade uh, when I was singing. I, the, the, a person I actually still play with, Peter Gerton, on piano, we, we loved Elton John. Elton John mm. was a huge, huge influence on me. And, and we, <clears throat> Peter could play by ear. He could play any of that stuff. He was in ninth wow. grade. He sounded like he was, he was crazy good. He sounded like Elton. Wow. Now, I could sing Elton. He could play Elton. He could sing, but he wasn't very confident on it. And so we became great friends. And our first band was, we mirrored the Elton John band from the 11, 1770 album, which is one of the greatest live albums. If you're ever not aware of it, it is literally one of the greatest live albums of all time. Okay. And piano, bass and drums when Elton wow. came to America the first time. And we, we basically did the entire album <laughs> verbatim. And you played out that at that age. Nope. Nope. I didn't play out until uh, I was about 19 with a different band called, they were called the T Skeeter band, which eventually did turn into Mick Sterling and the stud brothers, which was okay. um, the band that I was in for 17 years. That was really kind of the instigator of everything. Um but yeah, 19 is when I first started playing in clubs. It was Osceola. The Wolf's Den in Osceola, Wisconsin was the first show I ever played. Uh, I think I was about 19. Wow. So did you take, did you take any vocal lessons? I didn't. I, I just could, nat- I could naturally sing. It, it would have been better for me to take vocal lessons, I, I assume. But I, you know, I've been singing... Over 40 years, I've never had nodes. I've never had throat problems. That's great. Um, I, I don't smoke. I've never smoked. I never did drugs. And so I think that's part of it. But I got I got lucky with this thing, you know. Yeah, because some people could sing and they sound really great, but they're not necessarily doing it right. And then they come across no, and, and these problems. Yeah. They get a lot of stuff. And it's very scary for them. And, and thankfully, yep. that's that hasn't happened to me. I don't think it's going to happen to me, but... Uh, but it's very scary when that happens to other singers. It's terrifying. Yes, I agree. Well, you know, it, it, it's it's a different type of athleticism being a musician. You use muscles that other mus- people don't use, and when you use it a lot, uh, it can. It's you know, guitar players, sax players, they you know, drummers. They have those are unique muscles being used to do that that job. Yep. And when you do it for a long time, it's you know, those muscles go, uh, I'm done now, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> and I tell you when it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. So, um, I wanted to ask you about this, this band a little bit more, uh, Mick Sterling and the, and the stud. And I just want to say stud muffins and I don't know if this rolls yeah, off know, the like, top. That's okay. <laughs> that's You've okay. heard that before is what you're saying. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay. That band, I lived in St. Louis. Um, so, uh, you know, I told you about the T Skeeter band. Yeah. We did that for a couple of years, changed into a band called Heat Treatment. And they were just a bunch of high school friends and some people that we knew. And and we did that rather unsuccessfully for three or four years off and on. Mm-hmm. Then I had the opportunity to move to St. Louis to be in a full-time band, which I had never done. And okay. so I moved everything I had. I lived in St. Louis for almost three years. And when I came back... Um, my old friends from T Skeeter said, we have this idea for a band. And I would, and I just joined a band when I got back already, an original band. I said, well, you know, if you guys want to put it together, I'm happy to sing for it, but I've, I've already got a band. Right. And so I came into the rehearsal 
and they had already picked the name out. They they named me Mick Sterling. My my real name is Michael Sterling Jensen. That's my real name. Got it. And and it said Mick Sterling and the Stud Brothers. And I said, well, so I'm Mick Sterling. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, you're Mick Sterling. That's and a great said, name, great stage yeah, name. Yeah, and so and so you know we we played again rather unsuccessfully for about six months. And, you know, we had a, it was a 10 piece band. It was a lot. It was a lot wow. to, you know, we couldn't get any gigs. And, and I, I told them, I said, you know, when I lived in St. Louis, there was a band that played every Sunday, Sunday afternoon from like four to 7 PM at this little suburban bar in St. Louis. They weren't great. There was nothing special about them. They weren't bad, right. but they weren't, they were fine. But that place was packed. It became this thing that people would just go to. And so I said, why don't we call bunkers in Minneapolis, which was a place that we loved. And let's just call them and say, we'll play for free for six weeks on a Sunday. And after six weeks, if they don't like it, fine. And they, and bunkers said, yeah. And so after about six weeks, we had about 70, 75 people coming. And then in about two months after that, it was lines out the door for about the next 12 years. What happened was that it be- this this band became the hospitality workers Saturday night. Everybody wow. had off on Sunday, so hairdressers, hotel workers, restaurant people. This was their night, and yeah. so they they all came down, and it was absolute insanity. It was it was, and so everything everything I'm doing now stemmed from the success of that band in about 1989. It lasted 17 years. Wow. We played every Sunday night at Bunkers every, for 17 years. We played about 200 shows a year. Wow. It was crazy, you know, all over the place. That is great. And once you get that following at Bunkers, it seems, and people are coming then, anywhere you play in the cities, they see that. Your, your fan base sees it and says, all right, we're going there next. Well, that- you know, it was, it was a hell of a thing. I mean, they're, you know, in the, the list of bands that are kind of legendary institution bands in the Twin Cities, Lamont Cranston, Bees Knees, Inside Straight, you know, w- you know, Willie and the Bees. The Stud Brothers are in that list. Yeah. I'm very proud of that. Well, that's terrific. And that that it seems like you kind of learned about the formula, a little bit of the formula of how to how to make a band a success. That you you had a really good taste of of doing that for free for six weeks. What a great idea. We thought, well, you know what? Let's let's create our own niche. And that's what we did. How many people are in were in the band at, during this recording that you did for the A440 series? In the clip, that's a, a ten piece, ten or eleven piece band from the original original band. I'm the only one from the original, but a lot of the guys have been had been have been with the band at least fifteen years. Oh, it's way. just filled with heavy hitters because we played so much. That band was a very, in, uh, musicians wanted to be in that band because uh, yeah. we were working a lot. But it, but the level of it was so high, too, that it, it made it interesting for them to join the band. It, it, it was, it's a burning band. It still is. It still sounds incredible. This recording that we're going to play here in a minute is really incredible. I, it, it sounds so great. It's just, Thank you. I love it. Um, do you want to go through and tell me who else is in the band? You have, you know, legendary people, you know, Bobby Vandell on the drums, the late, great Billy Franzi. This was his last performance he did with the band. The last oh. thing he did was this 
he passed away just a few months ago. But oh. so this is the last video image of of Billy Franzi oh. in this clip. Um, Stephen Morgan on guitar, Mark Lichtai and Donna Marka on keys, Bob Hogramson, Rich Manick, Brian Simons on on horns. I mean, it's 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 a heavy duty band. <laughs> it is, and and you front the band, you sing in it, and you're you're a heavy hitter, um, Minnesota Hall of Famer yourself. Well, thank you very much. So let's take a listen to this. This is, oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Take a Ride to the City is the name of the tune. Is this an original? No, I wish it was. I have, honestly, we have no idea where that sh- where that song came from. One of yeah. our, our trumpet player, Joe Durazmi, brought it in like, in like a, a beat up old cassette that he found in his car one day. And he goes, I haven't heard this in years. And we put it in and we went, this is a great song. And that band would kill this, you know, this band would kill that song. And he was right. It, it's, yes. I don't know who did this song, honestly. I couldn't find it. I had all sorts of stuff about going to the city. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, this must be an original. I played it for Steve. I'm like, Steve, do you reckon you know who did this song? We don't even know the actual real title of this song. I don't know what it is. (laughs) That's a great story. Okay. Knowing that, let's take a listen to Take a Ride to the City, performed by Mick Sterling and the Stead Brothers. Come on, Peter, play! 
Come on, Joe, sing with me. Take a ride to the city, baby. It's a long, long ride. Got to see my baby. Sweet and kind. Sweet as a ride downtown. Then at the end of the block. If I don't get my baby, I got trouble in my head. Pauline Jennings, and you're listening to Musician Talk, hosted by me. You just heard Take a Ride to the City, performed by my guest and his band, Mick Sterling and the Stud Brothers. Mick, you gotta love those horns. I mean, they just add so much to anything. It, 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 it takes everything up a notch, many, many notches, actually, I think, when you go out to see a show with, with horns in the band. When I front that band, it feels like I'm in front of a locomotive, you know, it just, it, it's just a huge feeling. And those guys, those guys hit it so hard. Oh, and I love your voice. It's like you have this combination of this bluesy roughness with a, with the smoothness that usually oh, don't thanks. go hand in hand. And so that's pretty cool. Thanks. Yeah. Like- it's, it's, been, it's been a work in progress. You know, I feel, I've, I honestly feel like I'm singing better now than I ever have. So that, that's been a nice surprise. I kind of thought, it would get weaker as I got older, but it's kind of doing the opposite. It feels, I feel really confident with my voice. So uh, the other part of your life, other than performing, you put groups together. And in fact, you employ a lot of the top musicians in the state, in the cities. And um, by putting these groups together, and so thank you for for doing these things that employ musicians. Welcome, welcome. And I just want you to talk a little bit about that, that part of your life. Well, you know, I, I enjoy putting things together. I think, you know, everybody has a, a talent mm-hmm. that is unique to them. I mean, if I look at a an, an engine of a car, I I have no idea what it even means. I have no interest in it, you know, but that's not my thing. My thing, thankfully, is I, I can I can come up with ideas and find the right people to accomplish that idea and and because of the success of Mick Sterling and the Stead Brothers and the, the longevity of it, when I present something to somebody, <clears throat> my reputation is, is that I get things done. It's not just a flippant idea right. that won't get accomplished. So I think my, my reputation in the Twin Cities is if, if I call you, and I say we're going to do a show. There's a very good chance we're going to do we're yeah, going to do a show, and I would yeah. like you to be a part of this thing. But I, but my, you know, my philosophy too of of being a band leader or putting things together, you have to trust the people that you mm-hmm. that you hire. Yeah, you know, there's a reason that I wanted to hire them. I don't need to babysit them. I don't need to be on their backs. 
I expect them to do a job. They expect me to do my job. And there's, there's a level of, of respect and trust that, that I, I think is important for shows to be successful and for people to look at the, the big picture and not just one gig. Yeah. You know, if we do this gig, right, we could do this gig for the next 15 years. So don't focus on how much you're going to make on the first gig. Think about if this gig works, how much money you're going to make 10 years doing this gig. And that's, and thankfully because of that, I found people that, you know, that want to go with that thought process. All of the shows that I've produced have lasted a really long time. And because people took, had faith in the concept and they had faith that it was going to work and they, and then, you know, thankfully they did work. Yeah. That's impressive that, that you have figured that out. And it's, it's no small thing to have somebody call you and say, do you want to, do you want to do this show? And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And to, to, to be able to trust that it's going to come to fruition um, because the person at the helm is making that happen is huge. Because often that kind of thing, because it's tough and it's a lot of work, tend to fall apart before they really get. get well, most, too far. most of them do. You yeah. know, most of them do. People lose interest. It was it was a good idea for a little while. Then whoever created it got you know distracted with something else, and they don't follow through with it. Yeah. And that's natural. That happens. But right. thankfully, you know, with the shows I'm producing, I, I get to perform with such incredible musicians i mean they're just the top yeah but but the the great thing for me as a band leader is that they're they're lovely people too Ah. they're really professional you know i don't have to worry about if they're going to show up or they're not coming prepared they're all coming in prepared and when did you when did you start um sterling presents when did you start producing and putting things together it was about 2009 2000 2008 when i kind of had the thought I, i should do this more um and, you know, there's a there's a group called the Fabulous Armadillos that do different, you know, they, they kind of started this whole scene. And so they would hire me to sing in a couple of their shows and and they're great and they're still great. They're the kings of this of this genre in, in the region. Nobody tops them. And then I and then I did my own um, Elton John show with Peter. And from then on, I've created, you know, almost 40 since then of different well, all different stuff but the elton was the oh. was really the first one it's a very you know he's such an important artist to us mm-hmm. but when, when we did the elton john show we debuted it at the chanhassen in the fireside room that's a little 250 seat theater the show was like three and a half hours right. but we were doing really deep elton john songs that people went i can't believe you did that song right yeah. you never hear that People play that live, you know, and that's so, you know, it's the combination of the deep stuff um, and and the hits and that we do with huge bands. And but about, yeah, 2009, I think that's when I started in earnest really doing this. And along with the these the honoring groups that honor certain individual artists, you also put a reviews together. And this is one that you put together for the, yeah. the Paradise and for Valentine's Day, the Love Show. Yeah, I can't take credit for the for the concept of this. One of my band members and uh, they run New Folk Booking, Lisi and John Wright. Uh, this was an idea that they they because they would book different shows and performing arts centers like like uh, Paradise. Yeah, and 
And a lot of them will go, well, do you have a show for Valentine's Day? Of and course. we didn't at the time. And and then so this year, when we got down doing the Christmas shows, we thought, well, let's let's see if we can put this together. Because I think yes. it is a good idea. Yes. And so this is the debut on on the twelfth of this of this show. So we're really excited that we're doing it in the friendly confines and the very intimate and unique confines of the paradise too. And the room sounds so good too. It does. Great place to play. So we're looking forward to that. As a great segue to Smooth Operator by Sade. um, And that is sung by Kate. Kate Fierro was her name. And she's going to be at the show on the 12th, singing, singing love songs to the audience. So, okay, uh, let's take a listen to the beautiful, beautiful singing uh, by your wife, Kate, on this song called Smooth Operator.
You are listening to Musician Talk, hosted by me, Pauline Jennings. Today I'm speaking with Minnesota Music Hall of Famer Mick Sterling. You just heard the Sade tune, Smooth Operator, performed by one of the bands Mick put together and runs. Well, now everybody else got to hear what a great singer she is. And again, just filled with incredible musicians, this show is as well. Yep, it is. Yeah. And uh, I have a question that I didn't ask before about the programming. Tell me just a little bit about how you make decisions about which songs you're going you're gonna to pick. I mean, you said you want to make sure that you pick songs that, that you like and that resonate with you and excite yeah. you. But how about programming and putting them together? Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a flow as a front person that you have to, you know, you can't do four ballads in a row. I have a good idea of what flows well with an audience. So I, I always try and come up with a set list that I think will, will work for an audience. But every artist that we do is different. You know, the, the, the love show mm-hmm. that we're doing is really, it, it is unique in the sense that it's not just one artist like, like the other shows that I do. So I'm really looking, it, that's going to be fun just to have it go all over the place. But, you know, playing music is such a human connection. You can, I'm not a huge fan of set lists per se. I do it more in this, in this, in doing tribute shows because we don't play every day like we did with the Stud Brothers. When I was with the Stud Brothers, I never had a set list. I would just, I would turn around and go do that song. You know, oh. it was completely, and it, it all it was completely based off of how it felt, how the audience felt at that particular time. You know, so it. It is a feel thing that that I try and do as much as I can when I create the set list. You touched a little bit about the importance or the connection that you, the human connection that music makes. I want to mention that you have written a book that just recently came out. Yes, yeah, and else came out uh, in March of twenty twenty one. It's called "And Else: A Version of Life According to Mick Sterling," and according to the synopsis. I haven't gotten the band of the book and read it yet. Um, but according to the synopsis, it, it, the book is about the importance of what's important in life. And one of those things, of course, is, is music. I think that music is so important in our lives and the arts are the first thing to go in schools. And it just really breaks my heart because I think it's probably the most important thing because it, it, it helps learning in all other areas, not only in school, but in your life. Um, so now that I gave you my little spiel, talk to me a little bit about the importance of music. Well, I mean, it was, it was huge for me. It was everything for me when I was a kid, learning how to play drums and singing and listening to records for hours and hours in my room, just having that, I mean, I guess it's, it's spiritual in some way, that connection Mm -hmm. that you have between a spinning album and what's coming out of that album and, and what, what sinks into your soul from it. I mean, that's that's a connection yeah. and music, you know, music has based everything I do is, is based off of, you know, because of me performing and, and writing songs and, and the success from that. And else, you know, it, it, there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of a random series of chapters that some are kind of funny and some are serious and sarcastic and funny and weird. And, and then some are, you know, horrendously sad. I mean, the, the word and else was a, my son Tucker passed away a couple mm. of years ago when he was 29. And, and so there's a chapter in the book about, you know, how we learned about that. And, you know, it, it was obviously awful. And, yeah. but when I was a little boy, 
he he you he came up with that word and else it's not a word mm. but he used it as a word in lieu of and then like <laughs> so he goes i want to watch you know the example i say in the book is i want to watch ninja turtles and else gargoyles <laughs> you know, that's a pretty good word you know so i thought that, that would be a good word to, to describe this book you know and you know and one of the crazy things pauline is that on the back of the book, Louis Anderson gave me a, an unbelievable endorsement and was so kind. And, you know, Louis just wow. passed away just a few weeks ago. And it was he just, did. we really, um, I got, I was very blessed to get to know him the last couple of years. He's just, a, he was just a lovely, lovely man. And he literally, and he read my book and he thought oh. it was really, really funny. Like, I, I couldn't believe it. I think Louis, I said, I think you actually read the entire book. He goes, I did. I loved it. So, That's, you know, that did not hurt my feelings that Louis Anderson. No. Liked my, so uh, it's, it's, I'm very, very proud of that book. And, uh, and now the kind of unique thing is I, I, there's an audiobook version of Andels that I, that's on a jump drive. And I, and I, I recorded it live in front of an audience. I read it, the entire book in front of an audience, no cuts, no edits. I read the wow. book. And so I've never heard an audio book like that before. And it's, it's very raw. And, yeah. and I was really happy with how little I had to stop. I just kept reading. And, wow. and sometimes, you know, I stopped because I couldn't <sighs> compose myself. It just, you know, but I just kept it all in. You know, this is an author reading their book. And yeah. that's what I did. That's a great idea. I, that oh, that's really, really a great idea. And I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I've never, ever, ever seen that or heard that. I haven't either. But it seems like yeah. it would take forever to yeah. do an audio. I just, I just can't. I don't want to spend that much no. time doing. I, I did one. My, my, my yeah. father's friend wrote a book. Okay. Not a real long one. I mean, it was only this thick. But my God, the edits. Oh. It's hard. I just kind of decided that I, I was going to make a live album of my book. You know, that's basically what I did. Well, Eva, I've really talked about a lot of things here today. And unfortunately, we're out of time. And I would like actually to have you on again at some point in time to talk more about your book. Um, Great. Thank you. When we play the show on Saturday uh, on the 12th, if people want to get an audio book version of it, uh, I'll have those. Got it. Okay. I would like to talk about, because it's kind of a something we do at every show. And unbelievably, I'm almost on my 50th show. Um, I know. Hoo-hoo. Uh, started it during COVID. So what the, some okay. of the silver linings that happened during that. Yeah. Um, so best gig, worst gig. I'm sure you have a lot of both, but I like to start with the best gigs. So, or I mean, with the worst gigs, so we can end on a high note. Although the worst gigs sometimes can be the best because they may be the funniest when we laugh at our mistakes. <laughs> what do you got yeah. for us? I think a lot of the worst gigs they, at the time are are you know, when you're playing to literally playing for nobody, yes. there's nobody there. You know, we had a, I did a show in St. Louis. Now that you bring this up, but I did a show in St. Louis. It was the last day of the baseball regular season. It was the Cardinals <laughs> oh, no. and the Cubs. And whoever won that game was going to be in the playoffs. And so this is 1986. And the, and the bar had this huge, you know, back in those days, the big TVs were gigantic. They weighed a ton. Right. And they put this TV right in front of the stage. Oh, no. 
And so it was watch the game. And it's like the fourth, you know, the fourth inning, it's nine o'clock and the manager of the, the room goes, okay, start playing. And we're going, why don't we just wait till the game's over? Right. We'll take short breaks, but nobody, the, everybody wants to watch the game. I'm paying you to play, play. So we start playing and me and the bass player and the guitar player are up front, but this TV is so huge. All you can see are, our we're behind the, you can just see our eyes in the top of our head. at us. They're so upset. Shut up. Because I want to watch the game. That was one of the worst. They, oh, they that were, sounds absolutely horrifying. Throwing, you know, chicken wire scene. You know, that, that was closest to that. <laughs> it's like if you, if somebody would have handed out tomatoes, you guys would have been had tomatoes all over you. Oh, awful. Best gig, uh, you know, I would say any any of the um, uh, any of the Bayfront Blues Fests that the Stud Brothers did in oh. Duluth. Very, very magical. I, really, the last one we did, I would I would say was one of the top top ones just because we hadn't been there in 15 years so excited to see us the band sounded so good but it really was that that really rare thing between a band and an audience where it was just like my god i missed you You oh oh how nice band was crying it was just it was palpable really one of the most palpable performances i've ever been involved in it was it was great and that was just a couple of years ago and it was really it was that was quite a moment that was quite a moment and what a place to play it really is something else at that festival outside there Mm. beautiful stages and really great music yep all right well thank you for sharing those stories with me those both were great in closing, I want to say I encourage everyone out there to go get tickets for the show on February 12th at Paradise Center for the Arts uh, to see the love show uh, <laughs> on Saturday the 12th at 730 to celebrate love, any kind of love you want to celebrate uh, and to celebrate great music. Where can people find you online so they know not just about the show on the 12th, but also more shows that you play at the Paradise yeah, or yeah. anywhere? MickSterlingPresents.com uh, has all, all the information about my shows and bios and my my charity the 30 days foundation and the times that we're coming back to the paradise which i hope will be uh many because we love it there awesome i wanted to touch on your charity and next time you come back we're going to have we'll talk about your book and your charities because you do a lot of really great works and and thank you for what you do do even though we didn't get to talk about it but um yes it is great giving back like that is really great I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come here. I hope I uh, can get to the show on the 12th. Go get your tickets now to, to that show at paradisecenterforthearts.org. That's where you go for tickets for that. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Mick, so much. And it was thank great you. to meet you. Honored to talk to you. Right, thanks so have much. A, have a great day. Many thanks to Mick for joining me today for this terrific conversation and for sharing his stories and talent with us. And heartfelt gratitude to you for listening to Musician Talk on The One, KYMN. Have a terrific day.